Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace extended toward us, needy sinners as we are. Lord, renew us and strengthen us in your grace and your hope this day. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. And again, welcome to everyone who's worshiping via the live stream with us this morning. So glad that you've joined us. It's good to see all your faces. And for those of you who um, may be wondering when it's time for you to come back to live worship, obviously, as you're comfortable with that, there is still plenty of space. So we welcome you for that. Um, I'd invite you this morning to take out your Bibles or devices and turn to our Old Testament reading, Jonah chapter 1, 17 through the end of chapter 2, continuing in this series from the book of Jonah, the second in a four-part series. As we saw last week in Jonah chapter 1, the book of Jonah demonstrates to us the missionary heart of God, and it shows us the incredible reach of God's grace. We saw that the book last week also is biographical about Jonah. It tells us about Jonah and even his unwillingness to obey God's command and go to and preach to his enemies, the Ninevites. We also saw the consequences of Jonah disobeying God and that the choices he made and the choices that we make do indeed have consequences for us, for those we know and love, and for people we don't even know. And we ended with that exciting part last week of Jonah being cast into the sea. Talk about leaving us hanging. And that's where we pick up today. As we look at Jonah's predicament in some detail today, I want to trust that like last week, we will see an incredible account of the grace of God. Today we will read specifically and look at specifically God's incredible grace extended to one of his children, a believer in the midst of his disobedience. We see in verse 17 that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. He's been cast into the sea by his sailing companions. Verse 17 tells us the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. We often picture a whale. This may or may not be accurate. The Hebrew word here is broad and generic enough in its meaning that could speak of either a large fish or a marine mammal such as a whale. Scripture does not furnish the answers regarding what kind of animal it was or how Jonah could have lived inside of it or anything else along those lines. And frankly, from my perspective, we shouldn't concern ourselves a great deal with these matters in the account because think about it this way. For God, the creator and sustainer of everything that is, including the forces of nature, to miraculously rescue and deliver Jonah by means of a great fish is not a difficult thing. It's a true miracle, a divine act of God, which is beyond human replication or understanding. Verse 17 also tells us that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And clearly we see the Typology there relating to our Lord Jesus Christ who was in the tomb for three days and three nights. This whole idea of Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights is significant, not only for his typology, 
But as we will see as we examine Jonah's prayer in chapter 2, he thought he was a dead man. The sailors who tossed him into the sea thought he was a dead man. That's why in Jonah chapter 1 verse 14, they cried out to the Lord that the Lord would not hold them accountable for taking Jonah's life. In that day, the term three days and three nights was used somewhat as a cliche. Like today, somebody would say, you're as good as dead and buried, or he was as good as six feet under. That's the kind of imagery that three days and three nights would have conjured up to them. To specify three days and three nights is simply to emphasize that God miraculously, by means of a great fish, rescued Jonah back from what seemed to be certain death. So the account picks up with Jonah's prayer in chapter 2 while he is in the great fish. And that is our focus today. We begin with verses 1 through 6 of chapter 2, which speak of Jonah's predicament. I once heard a predicament defined this way. A predicament occurs when an attorney who specializes in medical malpractice finds himself in need of major surgery. No, um, no disparagement there to those of you in the legal profession, but I, I found that a humorous way to describe a predicament. But on a more serious note, in the midst of his distress, we read that Jonah cries out to the Lord. Tragically, even as we saw last week, Jonah had been running from the will of God. As Doug Stewart says in his commentary in the book of Jonah, everything that happened so far could only convince Jonah of what he has always known, that God could do as he wished and would not be dissuaded from it. Jonah's flight and the circumstances that followed in no way contravened Jonah's faith. In other words, Jonah, even in his disobedience, still had a basic rudimentary trust in the Lord. Verse 9 of chapter 1 affirms this to us where Jonah says to the sailors, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. If you knew that you were running from God, walking in disobedience, being alive and conscious under the sea, inside a great fish, I think that would make me think about things a little bit. It made Jonah think about things. But Jonah isn't unique in many respects. In a lot of ways, apart from the fish part, Jonah's story is so often at times my story and your story. We get ourselves in a mess, even though we know what God's will is, but somehow I make it about me or you make it about you. And it becomes all about doing things my way or for you all about doing things your way. Even though we know the right thing to do, we do things our way. And when we do that, we very consistently get ourselves in a big mess. And tragically, sometimes that big mess, in Jonah's case, ending up in the belly of a fish or a whale, is what it takes to bring us to our senses. That's what it took, tragically, for Jonah to refocus. Because Jonah wanted to go two ways. He, he was a child of God, and yet he wanted to do things in disobedience to God. There's a West African proverb that says this. The man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. 
And that is so true. Why don't we just say yes to God and his will to start with? Even when he calls us to something difficult, even when he calls us to a hard place, when we walk in obedience, when I, when you walk in obedience, we have the assurance that he is, his hand is upon us. When we walk in obedience despite trials, we have the joy of uninhibited, uninhibited intimate fellowship with the most high God. May we not be like Jonah here. Instead, may our hearts cry be like King David in Psalm 143, verse 10, where he prayed, teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Sometimes I watch people, and I don't mean this in any self-righteous way, but you, you see people going down a path and it's obvious, not just to me, but it's obvious to lots of people around them where things are going to end up. And I wonder what is it going to take for them to really think about things? What is he or she going to have to put himself or herself through? And sometimes pointing at me, I have to think or say to myself, what was I thinking? Why didn't I just do it God's way to start with? Just say yes to God. Jonah thinks he's a goner. Look at the imagery in verses four through six. I am driven away from your sight. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. Verse five. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Verse six. Jonah saw himself as a dead man, even perhaps viewing himself as eternally banished from God's presence. But God wasn't finished with him. God hadn't written Jonah off. Jonah's predicament was our first point. And I thought about calling point two today God's response. But that, as I reflected upon it, really diminishes what God does here. And so point two, as I've called it this morning, is God's grace. Because that's what we see extended to Jonah here, even in the belly of the fish. Pure grace. Jonah had written himself off for as good as dead. However, right in the middle of verse 6, we find a very short and important word. Yet. Yet. All your waves and billows passed over me. Yet. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Yet, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you, did you hear that? Yet you brought my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. What we have here is a very real and powerful demonstration of God's faithfulness and God's grace. Even in the midst of disobedience, Jonah cried out to God and God's grace abounded to him despite himself. Now hear me. 
That doesn't mean that somehow God just always wipes away the consequences of our sin and disobedience in earthly terms. This is not some sort of cheap thing where Jonah or where I or where you simply calls upon God to get us out of the mess we've made and there are never any consequences. That's not the way it works. But, but the same God who goes to the lengths beyond our grasp to bring grace and salvation to unbelieving people in Nineveh is the same God who extends that continuing, sustaining grace to his children, including Jonah and including you and me when we call upon him. If you're walking in disobedience right now, perhaps you may even feel that you've exhausted God's grace somehow, but I'm here to tell you, you haven't. God is present. God is right here. God is right there in your home with you even now. Reaching out and his heart's desire is to bring you back into that wonderful fullness of uninterrupted and unbroken relationship with him. I think of the words of alas and did my savior bleed verse 2. Was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Jonah's prayer, his cry to the Lord, rose into God's very presence. Know that your prayer and my prayer, our cry to the Lord, rises into his very presence. Not because of us, not because of me, but because of grace. Because of grace. Thirdly, let's talk about living the truth, the application here. We've seen the contrast between Jonah, his sin, and his hesitancy to extend grace to Nineveh. We see that contrast up against God's character. And chapter 2, which is really a hymn composed by Jonah concludes with another contrast, a contrast and a demonstration of a right and genuine response to God's grace. Look at verse eight, which may seem an odd verse. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their, forsake their hope of steadfast love. That's a very important verse. It's a powerful verse. And I think it raises the question because it draws a contrast between trusting in God and trusting in idols. It raises the question for each of us, just as Jonah cried out, it raises the question for us, who or what am I trusting in? Who or what are you trusting in? The people of that time, the Assyrians and all the pagan nations surrounding Israel, trusted in idols, dead gods, often depicted as figurines. If we go to museums of the ancient Near East, you see these figurines, these idols from that era. But an idol isn't necessarily something that explicit. The word idol here really points to empty things or nothingness. And while they may look different, we can have idols we trust in just as much. Our world and our culture 
is filled with idols. People in our culture have all kinds of idols. Things that people trust in for a sense of security or for hope or for salvation. And sometimes we as believers allow idols to be set up in our lives as well. It can be good works. It can be wealth. It can be success. It can be stuff, things. It can be living the life or living the good life. Hear me. To trust in anything above, before, or more than God is to make that thing or that person an idol. Let me repeat that. To trust in anything or anyone above, before, or more than God is to make that thing or that person an idol. And that raises the question for me and for each of us. Are there people or things that you or I put our trust and confidence in before and above God? To whom or what do you and I hold on to? Where do we run when things get rough? I think this season of COVID that we're walking through really raises that issue in a very poignant, real and concrete way for us. And while it has been a challenging season, I think one of the things that we're open to that God is doing in all of our lives and in his church, not just All Saints Church, but the church is stripping away a lot of the things, the trappings and the idols that have nothing to do with pure and true worship. Where do we run when things get rough? But also, where do our priorities lie when things are going well? We're not talking here about some abstract concept or theory. Think about this when ask yourself as I ask myself even now. When people look at my life or people look at your life, how I conduct myself, how you conduct yourself, how we spend our time, how we order our lives, how we spend our money, what we talk about, what do they see and hear? They, they really see the truth. They learn what is important to us by observation and by listening. So what do others see as being the most important thing in each of our lives? To trust and to give priority and place to anything or anyone other than the God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To give place or priority to anything or anyone other than the one true God is to trust in idols. And God's grace is there to redeem that and to bring us back and to strip those things away, hopefully not in what, through what Jonah had to go through, but in order to experience the fullness of God's grace, we need to respond to the convicting grace of God and see our sin and our idols for what they are and repent and turn from them by God's power. That is the right response, whether for the first time in salvation or 
as we continue walking as a believer, when we are, we come to understand disobedience, our response is twofold. As we conclude, just as we see in verse nine of Jonah chapter two, first it is worship and obedience, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. And the second response of an obedient heart is proclamation. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So as we conclude, we see this wonderful, beautiful, yet tragic account of the reach of God's grace to one of his children in disobedience. And it raises the question for each of us today. First, it raises this question. Where is your trust today? Where is my trust? Am I fully trusting in God above and beyond anything else? Are there idols that I have allowed to be erected in my life? Are there idols that you have allowed to be set up in your life? Ask God to show us that disobedience. Are there things that maybe haven't crossed into that realm yet, but that are threatening to become idols in our lives? Let us pray that God in his grace and mercy will strip those things away and turn our trust ever more fully to him. Because the things that we look for, the things that the world looks for by trusting in idols are things that can only be truly found and satisfied through God. And for the people who don't yet know Christ, those idols will keep them from God's salvation. For us that are believers, it will keep us from knowing and doing the heart of God in obedience. And it will keep us from God's very best. May we remember from Jonah chapter two in this experience that Jonah went through that God is there. God is here right now. And he's reaching out with his grace. And he is calling us this day as he prepares us for the mission he has for us into ever fuller living relationship with him where nothing and no one is set up above him. And he pours his grace into our lives and into the life of this church in ways that we cannot even imagine or comprehend. That's how great our God is. That's exactly what he will do as we surrender ever more fully to him. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love and your mercy. And Lord, you are present here even now by your Holy Spirit. So I ask, Lord, search my heart. Search our hearts. And Lord, reveal to us those places where we have or where we are in danger of allowing idols to be set up. And Lord, help us to repent even now and turn from those things and more fully place our trust in you. Looking holy to you in the difficult times, looking holy to you in the good times, 
Because, Lord, you are our all in all. And you are a God who is unchanging, whose grace is sufficient for every moment of every day. So, God, I pray in Jesus' mighty name, pour that grace into our lives even now. Pour that grace into the life of all saints church even now. Lord, pour that grace into Woodbridge, Virginia even now. And Lord, fill our hearts with praise and thanksgiving for you, the one true, only, most high God. In Jesus' name, amen.